This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Honestly, like, what a night. You'll see that I don't have my big headphones. My headphones have disappeared on me. Oh, no. No idea where they went. So I'm using my AirPods. Um, I usually like to have, like, the the feedback monitoring where I can, like, hear myself as I talk mm-hmm. on. Because then I can, like, make sure that everything is recording okay. But I'm just going to have to have faith tonight that everything's going to go fine. <laughs> <laughs> I see waves forming on a uh, garage band, so here's hoping that, you know, it all works out. I'm sure it'll be I mean, I don't hear myself when I record. But yeah, um so tell me. Oh, in my purse. I don't understand why I put them there. Thank you. Ooh. Honestly, tell a mom what you're looking for and she'll find it. <laughs> I looked everywhere possible, <laughs> and she's been looking for like five minutes, and she's like, oh, they're in your purse. So stand by while I transfer to my headphones. All okay. Me. All right. Well, we are back on track. Um, <laughs> anywho... So, oh my gosh, tell me how your Samhain and Halloween were. It was really nice. Obviously very different because um, we just, because of, of COVID, we didn't do, we, yeah. like normally we would be meeting up with um, our nieces and going down D Street in Petaluma trick-or-treating, but um, this year it was just at home, but it was really nice. I... Mm-hmm. um spent the morning at the cemetery and um then came home and we did have to fit a couple errands in which was very like not in line with anything (laughs) (laughs) but um then we made like a really nice big dinner and did my little ritual and it was nice it was really nice yeah awesome that's great. I also had a bajillion errands to run on Halloween, just unrelated. Yeah, and it was like a busy day of it, too. The first thing I went, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, I got to Safeway, and I'm like, I'm on it. I can get back to, like, what I want to be doing, and then my purse wasn't in the car. I'm like, damn it. Then I had to go back home. Where Graham actually, I, like, drove through our driveway, because we have, like, you can go in and out different mm-hmm. areas and i literally like pulled up and he just like threw my purse through the window <laughs> so i could get back on my bullshit nice. get everything done <laughs> i love that yeah. oh man yeah my day was crazy on halloween i um i did my sister's hair which was like very intricate braids because she was one of the cult members for from Midsommar. Right. So she wanted like that sweet, like a Swedish looking, you know, yeah. kind of hairdo how they had. 
So I did like a bajillion braids on her head. <laughs> um, no, it, it turned out really cute. Um, and then I had to drive to all the way to Petaluma and I picked up these chocolate covered strawberries that oh, I had right. ordered. Yeah, they're so cute. They were so delicious. So um, shout out to House of Berries on Instagram. Uh, she does amazing like custom decorated chocolate covered strawberries. They were adorable. Um, yeah, so they were Halloween themed. There was like ones that looked like Frankenstein's and ones that looked like brains and another that had like a spider web or like it was just so. Yeah, so that was fun. But then on my way back, my mom calls and she's like, so I've forgotten to get candy for the trick or treaters. Can you stop by a grocery store and grab some? I stopped at three stores. And the last one I landed on was Safeway and I'm in line in Safeway and it's like two or three times I'm in line in Safeway and the line is already a mile long and they only have so many cash registers open. And I was actually like, I got to a short line and then the lady's like, oh, actually, I'm ending the line (gasps) after the girl in front of you. And I'm like, I have three bags of candy. You can't just like fit me in. But she like forced me to go to any of the other lines, which were, of course, like. 20 people in line in each of these lines. My mom calls me. She's like, oh, can you grab Ziploc bags? And I'm like, okay, reluctantly, leave the line. Go grab the Ziploc bags. Get back into the back of a very long line. She calls me again. Oh, so the um, uh, coconut waters that you got the other day from the grocery store aren't the kind that your dad likes. (laughs) Can you go get the kind that he likes? And I'm like, at that point, I'm just like, mom, you know what? I've been everywhere today. No. (laughs) I got chocolate-covered strawberries that might be melting in the car at this point. Like, I have driven all the way to Petaluma, come back to Windsor, gone to three different grocery stores looking for candy, grabbed, like, the last six bags of candy in all, like, Halloween candy in all of Windsor. I just want to be home because I still have to do shit. I I have, like, my own stuff that I want to do, like, all my witchy things. Before I then go back to Petaluma to do the, um, uh, I had a socially distanced, uh, like, driveway projected movie hangout. Oh, that's cool. We watched Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, it was really awesome. I'd never seen the movie. It was uh, hilarious. (laughs) I was just going to say, what did you think of it? (laughs) Yeah, I've never seen it. I actually really enjoyed it. I did not know what to expect at Mm -hmm. all. But yeah, I'm like, you know, and I, I have to do that. And I had and I also had her like wrap. I made caramel apples and wrapped them individually each like as gifts for friends at the get together. And I'm like, I have shit to do and it's not going to leave any time for my witchy stuff. So I actually did a lot less witchy things than I was hoping on uh, on for um, for Halloween. But it happens. It happens. It's okay. Life happens and it's okay. I got the Samhain ritual box from Foxglove Collective. Ooh. So I, I still need to do my ritual bath, um, hope, you know, hoping that it's, you know, it's still going to be nice. Oh, like, yeah. You know, two days later. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, so, but me and Gavin wore our adorable I sweaters. Um, so cute. Yeah, we got a lot of compliments. <laughs> <laughs> I was really proud. Um, and yeah, we, we, honestly, we still had a really good time and I still did a ton of divination because I brought my tarot deck with me to the hangout for anybody that like happened to want a reading. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe one or two of my friends would want a reading. I ended up doing like six readings. 
right outside under the full blue moon. So it was still like I still got to do some witchy stuff. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Guess who like was obsessed with my tarot deck after I gave him a reading? Who? Darren. <laughs> he's like, ah, I love it so much. Every time I see him, he's like more and more into it. Um, all this spir- like spirituality stuff, which I, it's awesome. I and love he that. even asked me, he's like, how much was that deck? Uh, like, you know, uh, and then I had to kind of tell him like, this is a tarot deck. It's a little more specific than like Oracle cards. So there's like a learning curve when you pick up tarot. And, but I, it, the, the tarot deck that I brought was my golden thread mm-hmm. tarot by Labyrinthos. Oh, yeah, that one's beautiful. So I'm like that. That one's beautiful. It's also really simple. It's easy to shuffle. It's durable because it's pretty much just plastic. And it comes with an app. Right. Which is, I mean, you don't even have to purchase the deck to download the app. It's super helpful. And it has, like, the whole log. And you can look up the meanings of each card. So I, you know, I told them, um, yeah, like, check out the app maybe first before you get a deck to see, you know, if that's something you're interested in. And just educate yourself because, like, you can generate like digitally a spread for yourself on it so yeah so for anyone out there wanting to get into tarot there's a an avenue for you it is that's um someone mentioned it and i downloaded it to see what it was about and it it is pretty cool you can i mean you can really study with it really study with it and it has it already has like pre-programmed spreads in it Mm -hmm. for different purposes which is really nice. Yeah. Like several different spreads that, you know, you just I, either with your physical deck or the digital deck that auto spits out um, tarot cards. And so as you're going through your reading, you can see like you're reminded of what each position means. Yeah. And yeah. And you can log it. You can you even log like how you're feeling about the readings, like all these different emotions you can select from. If it's like acceptance or fear or anxiety or happiness, confusion, like all these different things. It's a very, it's a very, I think, a really excellent tool for anyone that is just remotely interested in tarot. Yeah. I like always tell people about that app. It's very beautifully done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I had true crime, right? What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try and fuck with you, but then I'm like, no, I don't have that in me. Well, like, you know, worst case scenario, our true crime addicts out there will um, would get like a double shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I-, I think I'd like to kick things off with my case. Yeah, that seems to be our thing. True yeah. crime than paranormal. OK. Yeah. OK, cool. All right. So I know that I usually try to stay away from like the big cases that are super famous because oh, uh-huh. I do want to give attention to ones that are like a little more not known and I'm sure like a ton of people have covered this case but I just I thought of Italy and it's around the time it were only a few days after, it's only uh what was it it was the first on November 1st was the 13th anniversary of this murder and so I am covering for this episode the murder of Meredith Kircher more famously known for the trials, uh, murder trials of uh, charging Amanda Knox of her murder. I was obsessed with this. I don't think there's Mm -hmm. a single documentary podcast episode, whatnot. I have not listened to it, but I'm so excited. I 
honestly, I, I mean, I studied in Florence and I never visited Perugia, but um, I just wanted to do something from Italy. Yeah. And I just just looked up like Italian crimes. And of course, I've know I've known of this crime like it was international yeah. like, sensation. Then this came up and then I saw how the murder happened just, you know, a few days ago, a couple days ago. We're, we're recording this on when when is it? Oh, we're recording this on the second. So literally it was yesterday was the anniversary was the 13th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the 13th anniversary of this murder. And I'm like, I think that's really perfect. So, yeah, here we go. So our victim. Oh, my gosh. Poor baby. Meredith Susanna Carrick Kircher was a 21-year-old British exchange student living in Perugia, Italy, in 2007. She was infatuated with the Italian language and culture, and she had made a few trips to Italy in her youth, so she was just, you know, it came natural to her to want to do an exchange program there. Meredith was majoring in European politics and Italian of course, at the University of Leeds, and she dreamed of either becoming a journalist or working for the European Union. Love it. I mean, it makes it a little more, like, sad when you know, like, when you think of what what future they could have had, but I also like talking about the victims and kind of their aspirations and who they were. I think it's it's important to um, know more about the victim and what's missing because of them being gone. Yeah. She was also... A girl who was like a woman, I should say, you know, she's 21, um, young woman who was extremely close, like with her family um, and especially her mom. Like while she was living in Italy, they talked every single day, like every single day over the phone. Mm -hmm. So my heart, like when I've watched the documentaries about this case, my heart particularly breaks, obviously for her family, but for her mom, Mm -hmm. most of all. Um, Okay, so. In September of 2007, she moved to Italy to start the exchange program at the University of Perugia. And there she studied modern history, political theory, and film history. So she liked all that history slash poli sci stuff, I guess, right. which totally makes sense if she wanted to be like a journalist and and or be in the year uh, work for the European Union. So according to some of her fellow classmates, she was, quote, caring, intelligent, witty, and popular. She shared a four-bedroom ground floor flat with three other women. The first were two Italian women in their late 20s, Filomena Romanelli and Laura Mezzetti. The third roommate was another exchange student from the U.S., 20-year-old Amanda Knox. Amanda was from Washington State University studying linguistics and was attending an exchange program at the University for Foreigners in Perugia. Not sure quite how they got connected. Maybe somehow, you know, if there was like they placed an ad or something. But they, even though they went to two different schools, they were both exchange students. So uh, Meredith had actually moved into the flat earlier than Amanda. And then... Mm -hmm. They first met when Amanda moved into the flat on September 20th, 2007. Meredith and Amanda did things that like, I mean, it's, you know, it's two, like she's, one's 21, the other one's 20. Like we, you know, us ladies, we remember how we were at that age. And like, if you're living in an exciting new city and you're gonna like, you know, spend time together. I mean, they went out together. They attended the same events. They made, you know, loosely kind of like the same circle of friends. And they also uh, made friends with particularly some young Italian men who were also tenants in their building. Of course they did. 
Of course, like, hello, hot Italian men. Speaking of Italian men, on October 25th, 2007, Amanda and Meredith attended a classical music concert where Amanda met Rafael Solecito, who was a 23-year-old computer engineering student studying at the University of Perugia, so the same school where Mm -hmm. Meredith was attending. And they immediately started dating, and they, like, felt... It was like a whirlwind romance. They fell for each other really quickly, and um, investigators even recall, you know, we're going to get to the scene of the crime, but when they were investigating the crime scene, you know, Rafael and... Amanda were standing outside and they were kind of being like inappropriately intimate, like just like kissing each other and kind of like holding each other. Like they were just like very intensely in love. Yeah. So now the night of the murder. So November 1st was a public holiday in Italy. So her two Italian flatmates were out of town um, along with the four other young Italian men that were in the other flat. And that night Meredith had dinner with three friends at one of their homes. She was last seen at 8:40 about 8:45 p.m. leaving to walk back home to her flat which was just like about 500 yards away from the friend's house. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Amanda was scheduled to work at her part-time job at a pub that night, but her boss Patrick Lumumba called her to let her know she was no longer needed and so then, you know, naturally she decided she's like, "Well, I'm going to go spend the night at Raphael's instead right. then." As you do with your new beau. Have all the sex. The the bonathon, if you will. <laughs> that got me. <laughs> did that did that touch you? It did. It's so sweet. Oh, I remember the bonathon days. <laughs> so tender. <laughs> Fucking. Or maybe marriage. not. I don't know. <laughs> um. Okay. So that was the that what happened the night of the murder, as mm-hmm. far as we know. Right. Uh, as far as the whereabouts of these two women. So Amanda reportedly returned to her flat accompanied by Raphael the next day at around noon. And they found the front door open. There were windows that were broken and she found blood in the bathroom that she shared with Meredith. She went to check on Meredith's door because she knew like obviously Meredith wasn't out of town, but the door was locked. I find this kind of disgusting slash a little funny slash ugh, it, it's so interesting how like trauma or like you know traumatic events big events the random details that we hang on to mm-hmm. because and this is from the amanda knox documentary on netflix one random detail that amanda really clung on to through her memories of these moments where she's like walking through her house for the first time that day was seeing that someone had dropped a deuce in the toilet and hadn't flushed it yeah and <laughs> just just a log hanging out there and i've actually like seen the photos of the crime scene it's like yeah and of the toilet and it's i get it like it's like unnerving because who has the audacity who has the audacity (laughs) ever to shit and then not flush and i think like she's like I don't think Meredith would do that. So that's definitely, she's thinking like in her head, this is the bur- burglars and she found it almost like violating that like this remnant of the burglar yeah. is there. And she just like w- was very disturbed by that. Um, I find it, I just find it like kind of funny, but interesting how that's like this detail yeah. that she's like, I don't know. Like I just was so disturbed by it in that moment. So Amanda, Amanda immediately called Meredith's phone, but got no answer. So, 
then she called. This is like kind of like, girl, what are you thinking? Like, just call the police. Mm-hmm. But she calls Meredith's phone. No answer. And then she calls one of her other roommates, Filomena Romanelli. And then she calls her mom in Seattle. Right. Who tells her, honey, call the police. Which makes me, it always made me feel that it just kind of spoke to kind of how naive of a girl she kind of was in some sense. I think so. I mean, she was only 20. Like, I mean, even though you'd think that you know exactly what what to do in an emergency situation, sometimes you're just kind of, you don't. And I think she, I mean, she questioned it a little bit too. Like, I remember the blood that, that was in the bathroom. I think she tried to like, in her mind was reasoning like maybe she like Meredith took a shower and like cut herself shaving or yeah you're trying to like rationalize yeah. what's going on and try to talk yourself out of like maybe this isn't as serious right as I'm making it which also probably mm-hmm. speaks to how she ended up in that relationship that was so intense yes um yeah I mean she's a young woman in a foreign country and she's probably already flustered enough as it is with that, let alone walking into a, a burglar like crime scene. Yeah. So the roommate Philomena arrived at the flat uh, a little before police and she did like a cursory look through to see if like anything had been stolen since it did seem like a burglary. Okay, so unfortunately in rummaging right. things around, she had disturbed the crime scene. So pretty soon after, two postal policemen arrived at the scene and this is the funny thing about italy there's a bajillion different kinds of policemen like so many and they that they even have like the snail mail police i guess yeah (laughs) um so yeah these guys weren't equipped or trained to do murder investigations let alone like burglaries really or i don't know maybe burglaries fell under their jurisdiction somehow i don't know if that counts as a postal crime which is weird because you would think burglary like what could be connected to that and unless it's happening in a mailbox probably not mail related right so i don't know maybe if that's why it falls under you know the postal crimes i don't know i don't know why they were sent to first of many questions investigate (laughs) So many questions. So we're already getting going into this like a little ill-equipped. Yes. <laughs> Let alone that like now the crime scene has been super disturbed because Raphael and Amanda had walked through the scene and then also Philomena. Yeah. So yikes. So looking around the building, the two mobile phones that Meredith typically had with her were discovered in the garden. And at this point... They became very concerned for Meredith's well-being and they asked the police to kick down Meredith's bedroom door to force themselves in and to see, you know, right, because it was locked to see if she's in there. But the police declined. Apparently, that's not their job. It's not mail. It's not mail. The door isn't made out of mail. There's no (laughs) mail. There cannot be any mail in there. (laughs) Lady, you better show me an envelope before I (laughs) kick that in. They wouldn't, so they wouldn't close the, they, they wouldn't kick the door down. So then, um, I guess at this point, we also have like a male friend of Filomena's on the scene and he kicks the door down at around 1.15 p.m. Inside, they found Meredith Kircher's body on the floor covered in a duvet that was soaked in blood. At this point, the snail mail police were like, oop. That's out of our depth. Let's call the big guys. (laughs) And detectives were called to investigate the scene. So the autopsy 
was performed by pathologist Luca Lali, and her injuries consisted of 16 bruises and 7 cuts. These included several bruises and a couple of insubstantial cuts on the palm of her hand. Bruises on her nose, nostrils, mouth, and underneath her jaw were compatible with the hand being clamped over her mouth and nose. That makes me so sad. Yeah. Lali's autopsy report was reviewed by three pathologists from Perugia's Forensic Science Institute who interpreted the injuries, including some to the genital region, as indicating an attempt to immobilize Kircher during sexual violence. Oh, so horrible. Um, so this is where I get to say a lot of like even more fun Italian names <laughs> and words. Reparto Volanti, detective superintendent and Reparto Volanti it means mobile squad mm -hmm. so it's like un we're now in another division of the police department detective superintendent monica napoleoni told her colleagues that this wasn't just a burglary gone wrong which it, that's what it appeared at first right. because elements of the crime scene had appeared staged to look like a burglary burglar burglary burglary oh my god <laughs> um so uh she figured the murderer would have to have known meredith and Amanda Knox was the only resident of the house who had been nearby on the night of the murder. Because again, like all the other residents of that building were Italian and they went out of town for this holiday. Yeah. I don't know what holiday it was. Maybe they get, maybe it was like All Saints Day. They get, That's... they get it off or something. I mean, maybe. they're super. It is Italy. It is Italy. They're super Catholic there. So maybe that's why they get that day off because mm -hmm. it was the, the day after Halloween. Anyways. So Amanda and Raphael were taken into the police station for questioning. They were interrogated for five days without access to a lawyer or an interpreter for Amanda, who spoke very good Italian, but she wasn't fluent. Yeah. You know, Amanda's mother urged her to flee the country, but she decided to stay in Perugia because she wanted to meet with Meredith's family, who was coming from England. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it was, like, to speak to them or to just, like, offer support. Yeah. Emotional support, you know, as, like, probably one of the last people that saw her daughter. Right. Or their daughter, you know. Amanda would later testify that she was subjected to pressure tactics and even beaten by police to make her incriminate herself. Meanwhile, Rafael was also being interviewed and pressured. And finally, after four days, Rafael admits that maybe, maybe... Amanda could have snuck out while he was sleeping the night of the murder. I mean, these guys were just bullying these they two were. and pressing them. They wanted to implicate them right then and there. Yeah. And um, their tactics were uh, less than ethical. Absolutely. So when detectives, like, they took this information, they presented this to Amanda. They're like, so your boyfriend's saying, you know, he thinks you might have, you know, snuck out. Did you sneak out? Like, she immediately broke down. And Amanda signed a confession saying that she had returned to her apartment on the night of November 1st, 2007. And this is where it's interesting. So she gets these details of her confession pretty much like she almost described them like these visions or flashes of memories, which she now believes were like false memories mm -hmm. of like being bullied and pressured and like leading on like the witness per se yeah. from these police. But she says that she had these like flashes of memory saying like that she was standing in the next room while her boss Patrick Lumumba stabbed Kircher to death. It's really interesting when like psychologists kind of get into 
why she would have said that Mm -hmm. and why she would be like if it was false like falsely remembering these things yeah she also was like questioning it was to the point like this girl was so brutally interrogated that she was questioning her own sanity throughout her the whole process like she didn't even understand what was real yeah like it was just such i think like she, she had such a hard time like touching down on reality and she probably just like wanted the questioning to end. Absolutely. I mean, she was being, she was being like slapped and hit and stuff. I, I... So yeah. Horrible. So her confession, I know. So her confession was like, you know, like that she was there and that she has a memory that she was in the next room while her boss Lamumba was stabbing Meredith. And um, on November sixth, two thousand seven, Italian police pronou- uh, pronounced announced that Meredith's killers had been found. And Amanda Knox and Rafael Sole- Solecito, I always want to say Solecito, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's Solecito, were arrested and charged. But Lumamba had an alibi. He was seen bartending at the pub on the night of the murder. So I feel like that should go into question like, okay, yeah. this is a false confession. Right. <laughs> Hello? But they still wanted to just nail her for it. <sighs> Amanda and Rafael chose to have a full trial and were tried together. The Perugian prosecutor, Giuliano Magnini, painted a picture of Amanda that unfairly shaped how the public saw her. Oh, so badly. It's so disgusting. So he described her as a sex-crazed marijuana smoker Mm -hmm. who had dragged her boyfriend into a game of rough sex that ended in Meredith's murder even calling Amanda a she-devil. Yep. According to the prosecution, Knox had attacked Kircher in her bedroom, repeatedly banged her head against a wall, forcefully held her face, and tried to strangle her. Mignini suggested Knox had taunted Kircher and may have said, you acted the goody-goody so much, now we are going to show you. Now you're going to be forced to have sex. Which I'm like, where is this dialogue coming from? Yeah. He's just, he's like, he's literally just pulling it out of his ass. Absolutely. Like, there, there's no evidence to have suggested no. that at all. Uh, the prosecution hypothesized that um, Knox and Solecito had removed Kircher's jeans and held her on her hands and knees while um, she was being sexually abused, and that Knox had cut. Um, Kircher's with a knife before inflicting the fatal stab wound and that she had then stolen Kircher's mobile phones and money to fake a burglary. Because any of that makes sense. Because, yes, that all makes sense. Yes. Okay. Clearly. Based on, like, what evidence. Right. Amanda Knox became the subject of intense media attention and shortly before her trial, she began legal action against Fiorenza Sarzani. Oh, Sarzanini, excuse me, the author of a best-selling book about her, which had like it had been published in Italy and it included these accounts of events that were pretty much just imagined or completely invented by him, like similar to what Magnini was doing Mm -hmm. in the trial, just like pulling out of his ass like what could have happened. Yeah. It even like had these quote unquote witness transcripts that were not in the public domain and selected excerpts from Knox's private journals, which somehow Sarzanini had some like obtained. Yeah. Uh, Lawyers for Amanda said that the book had, quote, reported in a 
purient manner aimed solely at arousing the morbid imagination of readers, unquote. And I'm like, what does purient mean? Because it's quite a word. And it means having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. So pretty much just like sexually sensationalizing it. Yeah. But man, it's hard to pronounce. Purient. (laughs) You know how it's spelled? It's a crazy word. P-R-U-R-I-E-N-T. Oh. Prurient. I don't think I'm adding that to my vocabulary. I don't think so either. (laughs) I had never seen that word a day in my life. That's like a Moira Rose kind of word. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) David, such a prurient manner. (laughs) I'm solely at arousing the morbid imagination of readers. (laughs) Should I just read this entire episode as Moira Rose? I will not. I'll spare you guys. Okay. (laughs) So moving on. We'll work on it for a future one. I'll do Alexis. We'll work on it. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit of Alexis. I actually finally finished that and then watched the the special that they had like in like the making of the last season and just like. The one that just makes you cry the whole time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Pretty much. That's what I did. Um, Yeah. Well, I was in the hotel room waiting for my dad to like finish his back surgery. I'm just like finishing the last season of oh, Shit's Creek. Totally and then... forgot. Clearly he's fine then. Back oh surgery. yeah. So yeah, my dad the back surgery went well. He's recovering. He's having a ball really. Like <laughs> Oh yeah, you had to call him. <laughs> I, I had to call him to be quiet because I could hear him through my mind. <laughs> All right. So according to American legal commentator Kendall Coffey, quote, in this country, we would say with this kind of media exposure, you could not get a fair trial. No. In the United States, there was a pretrial publicity campaign supporting Knox and attacking Italian investigators, but her lawyer thought it was counterproductive. Two weeks after the arrest of Amanda Knox, Rafael Solecito and Patrick Lumumba, a forensics lab reported the results of its examination of DNA evidence taken from the crime scene. The evidence didn't point to Amanda or Raphael. It pointed to someone else entirely, Rudy Guidi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so remember the Italian men living in the other flat? Um, well, they had a friend, Rudy, who Meredith and Amanda had like really briefly met at the building late one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, The young men who lived in the downstairs flat couldn't right away recall how they had met Rudy Guidi, like how they came, he came into like their circle of friends. But they did recall how after his first visit to their home, this is really weird, by the way, they had found him later in the bathroom sitting asleep on the unflushed toilet, which was full of feces. Well, now we know who does that. (laughs) Now we know who has that habit of that. So Guidi allegedly committed break-ins, including one of a lawyer's office through a second floor window and another, during which he burgled a flat and brandished a jackknife when confronted. Yeah. Yikes. Um, On October 27th, 2007, days before Meredith's murder, Guidi was arrested in Milan after breaking into a nursery school. He was reportedly found by police with an 11-inch... And for our European people or pretty much anyone other than America, 28 centimeter knife 
that had been taken from the school kitchen. On the night of the murder, Guidi went to a friend's house at about 11.30 p.m. He later went to a nightclub where he stayed there until 4.30 a.m. And then on the following night, November 2nd, 2007, Guidi went to the same nightclub with three American female students whom he had met in a bar. And then he promptly left from Italy to Germany, fleed the country. No reason. His... Hmm. Just felt like going to Germany. His fingerprints were found at the crime scene, and Guidi was extradited from Germany. Uh, he opted for a fast-track trial, and it was held in closed session with no reporters present. He told the court that he had gone to the house where Meredith and Amanda lived to go on a date with Meredith after meeting her the previous evening, which I'm kind of calling bullshit yeah. because... According to other reports, they had, like, very briefly met, like, they ran into each other outside the building, and that's pretty much it. Yep. And another account is that two of Guidi's neighbors, um, which were foreign female students who were with him at a nightclub that evening, they told the police that the only girl they saw him talking to had long blonde hair, and Meredith was a brunette. Mm -hmm. He hadn't just met her previously that evening. Yeah. Guidi said Meredith had let him into the flat at around 9 p.m., but a glass fragment from the window found beside a shoe print of Guidi's at the scene of the crime suggested that he had actually broken in. Guidi said he and Meredith had kissed and touched but did not have sexual intercourse because they did not have condoms readily available. He claimed that he then developed stomach pains and crossed to the large bathroom on the other side of the apartment. Guidi said, which I'm sure is his explanation for the deuce he left. (laughs) (laughs) Guidi said he heard Meredith scream while he was in the bathroom and that upon emerging, he saw. I'm like wondering, like, are you is this is he trying to say like a paranormal thing? He's he says he saw a shadowy figure holding a knife and standing over her as she lay bleeding on the floor. Guidi further stated that the man fled while saying in perfect Italian. Trovato negro, trovato copevole, andiamo, which translates to found black man, found culprit, let's go. Yeah, totally. Um, cool. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know, it's so weird. I mean, so shadowy figure, that basically gets him out of trying to explain what the person looked like. Well, shadowy. Yeah. A shadowy figure. How can I tell figure. you? It was shadowy. I don't know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Found black man, found culprit. Let's go. <laughs> That's the most like random sentence to say on your way out from a crime scene. Yeah. Like it's a guy that just like walks around and like aloud says everything he's observing. <laughs> You're going to be the culprit. I'm going to go. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> like what? Oh, gosh. Well, the court found that his version of events did not match the forensic evidence, doi, and that he could not explain why one of his palm prints stained with Kircher's blood had been found on the pillow of the single bed under the disrobed body. Uh, and, and Guidi had said that he left Meredith fully dressed, which is like totally wrong because she was found disrobed. Yeah. He was found guilty in October 2008 of murder and sexual assault and sentenced to 30 years imprisonment. Judge uh, Michele acquitted Guidi of theft, suggesting there, there had been no break-in. Which is interesting. If you're asking me, I'm going to say he broke in 
to rape and kill Meredith. Absolutely. So on December 29th, 2009, so now this is a little over two years Mm -hmm. since the murder, Amanda Knox was sentenced to 26 years in prison, and Rafael Solechito was sentenced to 25 years. Knox's family and many supporters, mostly American, protested the sentencing. Um, With a beautiful young woman at its center, the case became an international sensation, which I'm sure, like, most people can remember when this case was going on. Supporters criticized the Italian legal system, which uh, which they said had major flaws and claimed Knox was discriminated against because she was American and because she was an attractive young woman. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, they used it against her in terms of, like, they oh, used Yeah. They, like, sexual, sexual like, sexualized her and, yeah, they sexualized her and yeah. just, yeah. Um, so in April 2010, Amanda's and Raphael's lawyers filed appeals challenging the evidence and the credibility of the witnesses. The appeal process began in December 2010. Um, this time, forensic experts said the DNA said that the DNA used in the first trial was unreliable. In June 2011, so now we're like in the next year, so slow. This the defense so long. So long. Um, the defense called a witness who testified that in person, Rudy Guidi had said Amanda and Raphael were not involved in the murder. Amanda and Raphael had support in their appeal from the Idaho Innocence Project, which was a legal organization that uses uh, DNA testing to prove the innocence of wrongly convicted people. Mm-hmm. On October 3rd, 2011, two years after their first trial, the murder convictions against Amanda Knox and Rafael Solecito were overturned. Knox's prior conviction for defaming Patrick Lumumba was upheld, and she was sentenced to a three-year term and fined. So she was held accountable for that, for falsely confessing that he had anything to do with the murder. So upon the announcement of the verdict, reporters' cameras caught Amanda breaking down into tears. And Amanda flew home from Rome, Italy, to London, England, and then home to Seattle, Washington. Not long after returning home, she picked up her studies at the University of Washington, majoring in creative writing. And in a sharp turn of events in March 2013, Amanda and Raphael were both ordered to stand trial again for the murder of Meredith by the Italian Supreme Court. Italy's final court of appeal, the Court of Cassation, I think that's how you say it, overturned the acquittals of both Knox and Solecito, which is like, we just did this. Yeah. <laughs> we just went through this. Um, these poor people. Yeah. So Amanda released a statement shortly after learning that she would again face trial for murder, saying, quote, it was painful to receive the news that the Italian Supreme Court decided to send my case back for revision when the prosecution's theory of my involvement in Meredith's murder has been repeatedly revealed to be completely unfounded and unfair. I believe that any questions as to my innocence must be examined by an objective investigation and a capable prosecution. The prosecution responsible for the many discrepancies in their work must be made to answer for them, for Raphael's sake, my sake, and most especially for the sake of Meredith's family. Our hearts go out to them, unquote. After the acquittal was overturned, the new trial began on September 30th, 2013. So it's like, oh my God, we just did this, mm-hmm. starting the whole process over again. Um, and obviously they were anticipating 
the press, the pre- the yeah. presence of like the press at the the trial. Mm-hmm. So um, Perugia lacked the appropriate amount of space needed, so the location of the second trial was in Florence, Italy, um, and it was with Judge Alessandro Nancini. Um, Amanda made no arrangements to attend any portion of the trial, while Solecito attended the trial as it came to an end with a verdict. A new piece of evidence, which was referred to as Evidence 36I, was examined in the trial, and Evidence 36I was a minuscule piece of material that, this is so ridiculous, it was a minuscule piece of material that was found on a kitchen knife that was in a, a drawer at the flat that Italian prosecutors believed was used to kill Kircher. New testing did not find Kircher's DNA on the knife. However, experts found traces of Knox's DNA on its handle. Knox's legal team used the finding in her defense, saying it means that Amanda's um, uh, it means that Amanda took the knife exclusively for cooking matters to keep in the kitchen and to use it. Yeah. Knox's <laughs> defense lawyer Luca Mari told the Associated Press, "It is something very important. It is absurd to use it for murder and put it back in the drawer." Yeah. It's just not strong enough evidence. Like, she lived right. in the apartment. Of course you're going to find items in the apartment with her DNA on it. Yeah. It, they were just so reaching for something. I know. Like, on her. I think because of how the first trial, how she was painted as this, like, crazy, you know, mm-hmm. demonic, like, American that was, you know, a bad influence on Meredith. That they just, people held on to that. And I'm sure they felt pressure from the public. I, I believe people in Italy, like, really were on the um, police side that mm-hmm. they really believed that Amanda Knox had done it with Raphael. Right. Anyway, so in a decision that created shockwaves around the globe in early February 2014, Knox and Solecito were again found guilty of murdering Kircher. Following nearly 12 hours of deliberation by an appeals court jury that concluded by upholding the lower court's 2009 decision against Knox and her former boyfriend. So her and Solecito were not together at Mm -hmm. at this point, but bonded together for life because of this. Right. Solecito received a 25-year prison sentence, while Knox, who was convicted of slander in addition to murder, was sentenced to 28 and a half years in prison. She said, quote, I am frightened and saddened by this unjust verdict. Having been found innocent before, I expected better from the Italian justice system. The evidence and accusatory theory do not justify a verdict of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. There has always been a marked lack of evidence, unquote. She also added, um, quote, this has gotten out of hand. Most troubling is that it was entirely preventable. I beseech those with the knowledge and authority to address and remediate. I can't read today. (laughs) Remediate the the problems that work to pervert the course of justice and waste the valuable resources of the system. Yikes, yikes, yikes. So the Supreme Court of Italy overturned the 2014 convictions of Amanda Knox and Rafael Solecito. This ruling was the final decision in the case against the two, and more details on the court's verdict was released in June. So after learning about the verdict, Amanda Knox issued a statement saying, I tremendously, I am tremendously relieved and grateful for the court's decision. After returning home, Amanda, for a second time, Amanda Knox finished her degree and began working as a freelance journalist. She wrote Waiting to be Heard, colon, a memoir, which was a best-selling book about her experience. 
and was released in 2013. Her story is the subject of Amanda Knox, a Netflix documentary, which Mm -hmm. was released in September 2016. In addition to her writing career, Knox appears at events for the Innocence Project, which advocates for people who have been wrongfully imprisoned. Um, And the latest, latest thing that she's been up to is she's hosting a podcast. It's called The Truth About True Crime, which goes in depth on the murder of 18-year-old Jennifer Levin as Knox deconstructs the stories behind the victim-blaming privilege and media sensationalism that surrounds this murder and trial, as seen in the Sundance TV docuseries The Preppery Murder, Death in Central Park. Mm -hmm. So I can see how she is very personally, you know, connected to that case. Um, So yeah, if you want to give that a listen, you can follow that podcast. So in August 2017... Amanda Knox announced she was making plans to return to Perugia in 2018 as part of a follow-up book to her best-selling memoir. And in January 2019, the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, France, ruled that Italy had to pay Knox 18,400 euros, which is equal to about $20,000 USD, for the failure to provide legal assistance and an independent interpreter when she was interrogated in the aftermath of the 27th. 2007 murder of her roommate and amanda later agreed to speak at the criminal justice festival in modena italy in june 2019 saying quote the italy innocence project didn't yet exist when i was wrongfully convicted in perugia i'm honored to accept their invitation to speak to the italian people at this historic event and return to italy for the first time and that is the murder of meredith kircher and the false murder charges against Amanda Knox and Rafael Solecito. That fucking story. That fucking story. And there and I know that there's so many more details that could have been added to. Oh, it was so difficult to like, you know, keep it as succinct yeah. as I did. And if you thought I went into too much detail, there's you don't so even much. know. You don't even know. I I highly recommend you watch the Mm -hmm. documentary Amanda Knox. Does a really good job of it. I think there's um, there's a couple different ones too. I can't remember them now, but I do. I remember that there was also um, witnesses that saw someone either leaving the apartment or like in the garden Mm. around the time that would have kind of led to the belief that maybe that was the person. And I think yeah, I, they assumed it was Rudy. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think with his like criminal background yeah. um, and also his habit of dropping a deuce without flushing it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we had somebody that was, I think, clearly part of it, convicted of the murder. Yeah. And um, suffering the consequences. And it's, I think, I think the whole like, sensationalization part of this case is what's so wild um so yeah that's the case and i guess then today is the 13th anniversary of the discovery of meredith's body yeah pretty wild but yeah Mm -hmm. that is uh that's my case that's a really good one um it's also interesting that you know the sensationalized story to that was used to convict her in some ways i mean 
her case in particular, it's not being used, but um, the Scott Peterson case, mm. they're looking into that, reopening that one again because of the press coverage of it. He felt he got an unfair case. Honestly, which like, is like the way that you're painted in the press has mm-hmm. a huge sway. It does. In how even in the though like of your trial. pretty sure there's enough evidence to prove he did it, but <laughs> sure. At the same time, it's you can't you can't deny that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's a big factor. Absolutely. <sighs> All right. Now I'm ready to be creeped out, Laura. Take it away. All right. Well, so I kind of I was debating between a few topics and I was like, you know what? I just covered Samhain. Why don't I stick with like the Irish theme? Ooh, okay. So I'm going to cover banshees. <gasps> oh my God. Shut up. Are we connected? Are because we? <laughs> I was lit yesterday. I was thinking, I'm like, man, you know, if Laura doesn't do it first, I think I might do banshees. Whatever happened to those? <laughs> No one talks about banshees anymore. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited. So, I I, so the banshees came up while I did my research on Samhain, not in that it was directly related, but that it was related Mm -hmm. to some of the topics within it. Um, Mm -hmm. Like just the word banshee, that's modern Irish. Um, and mm-hmm. it comes from, you know, an old Irish term. But we remember that there's the Ishi that live oh, yeah. in the she. Yes. The so what did, ban, what did ban mean? Woman. Oh, okay. So it's woman, woman of the, the fairy mound. Oh, well. Yeah. Very straightforward. <laughs> yep. Very straightforward. Not um, as flowery as I thought it would be. No. Not not so much, but um All right, so Banshees and Teletubbies, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> so these I did mention last time the fairy mounds or, you know, I forget the um the she's. They're also called yeah. Tumuli. Mm-hmm. And um that is supposedly where Banshees also lived with the other Teletubbies and whatnot. Right. But they do mm-hmm. not look like Teletubbies. I'll get to that in a little bit. Yikes. <laughs> this is where I like I hate that it gets so dark so early now. Oh, I love it. And it's it. eerily quiet in the garage. No, mm-hmm. but it's okay. Continue. Well, you know, maybe you'll find some solace as I get a little bit further into Banshees. Okay. You'll find cool, solace. Cool, cool, cool. I may not. So <laughs> Yikes. Okay. <laughs> For anyone who's completely unfamiliar, Banshees are usually depicted as women. Um, in most movies that I've seen, she's usually wearing like all black and her face is covered. She's got long hair um, mm-hmm. and she's like screaming. Yeah. And Have you ever heard screaming like a banshee? <laughs> <laughs> ever heard of it? <laughs> which is funny because we were just talking. Uh, I forget which episode that was about. You had watched a video with screaming and then I was mentioning the the foxes. Oh yeah, and the feel yeah, that yeah. we're screaming, and so the the wail of a banshee is um, very similar to a fox or a vixen, oh. which is an animal, not a lady. <laughs> it's a female fox, right? It's a vixen. No, 
Or is that Could its be. own species? I thought so too, but then I kept reading about foxes and vixens and I'm like, okay, so separate okay. things. All right. But it's similar to that if you know that sound. Cool. Um, kind of creepy. So anyway, banshees, when they appear, they, they do not bring death themselves. They mm-hmm. just warn of it, that it's coming. Okay, so they're not the cause of it, but they're no. like, it's around the corner. Yeah, you're still going to be scared shitless. Right, right, right. Because you don't know if it's um, your death or mm-hmm. the family member's death. Mm-hmm. Who knows? It's a surprise. <laughs> surprise! <laughs> uh, she's known by other names in Ireland. Um, and not just Ireland, actually, but I'll get into that. So Hag of the Mist is one of her names. Mm-hmm. Little washerwoman, oh, and that's adorable. A little bit, but that's what I should call my mom. Um, well, that comes from <laughs> tales of her being sighted washing the blood stains from the clothes of individuals who were soon to die. So okay, never mind, never mind. Backtracking, backtracking. <laughs> I don't mean not. it, mom. <laughs> not calling you a banshee. I'm just like saying, like, you know, sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll I want to be like, mom, it's okay. Me and Gavin will do our own laundry, and then she'll just like go ahead and do it. <laughs> She's so cute. Or like, I'll be like, oh, uh, she's like, do you need help folding? I'm like, no, 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 I got it. Like, I really want. And she has a thing with her arm. She's actually getting surgery for tomorrow. Oh, dang. Yeah, I know. Um, And I'm like, yeah, just rest your arm, mom. Don't worry. And then I'll like, you know, come back in five seconds. Everything's folded. And I'm like, mom. <laughs> no, she's very cute. She can't help it. She's I like Monica. That. I love that. I love it. So yeah. if I didn't like have my health issues, I would be much more like Monica than I am. <laughs> my energy levels, no. Maybe if I did cocaine. <laughs> but I don't. Anyway, another name is Hag of the Blackhead. So the names kind of vary depend on depending on where in Ireland. Mm, like region or region. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and she has like a, a different name in Scotland, but there's, she's there's something similar there. Um, okay. So is it question? Quick yeah. question: Is it like one creature, or is this like a species of creatures? Well, I'll get into that actually. Okay. okay there's ideas. Cool, cool. So, um, generally, she's a, she's accepted as like a female spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is terrifying. Yeah, and she <laughs> she. she They'll call it wailing or shrieking. Um, they don't really say screaming, but that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, mm-hmm. Or keening. What? Keening. Keening? Keening. Mm-hmm. With a K? Yep. So okay. keening is an Irish word used to describe the lament that women used to do over the body of a deceased person to ward off evil spirits. And it's a traditional part of mourning in ancient Ireland and Scotland. And it was so traditional, in fact, that there were actually professional keeners. Is this similar to like the professional criers or professional mourners? Yeah, basically, because that's what what this was. Keeners were were mourners. So they were traditionally older women um, Mm -hmm. and they paid respects to the deceased and expressed grief on behalf of the bereaved family. And a lot of times they were paid to do this. And I found one story. I couldn't find anything else to back it up. So I wasn't sure how accurate it was. But there was something about that these professional mourners were paid in alcohol. But because of 
drinking alcohol. They were sinners. Mm-hmm. And when they died, they became banshees. I thought that was okay. like an interesting story, but I couldn't find anything oh. else to back it up. So that's, okay. that's a maybe. Put it over there. Um, <laughs> Put a pin in it. So they were also called Keens, these women. So Keens were said to have, or I'm sorry, they're, sh- they're, they're shrieking, crying, mourning, mm-hmm. whatever. They're Keens. Yeah, like the sound that yeah. they made. Um, they, it was said to have contained raw, unearthly emotion, spontaneous word, repeated motifs, crying, and elements of song. And structure was provided by banging on the coffin and the ground and the repetition of familiar refrains and vocables. Vocables are repeated sounds and utterances that are not words in themselves, but allow a structure, pause, mm-hmm. and feeling to flow. Wow. Like, it's its own little thing there. Wow. Um, so you could really, like, it's this is something that you could really master, like, artfully. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And they were heard within old songs in both Ireland and Scotland. And as a keen was dedicated to the departed, it would never be the same twice. So it's not like you would learn one keen and repeat it over and over again. It was different for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some old text, it was described as um, someone wrote, it wasn't singing. It wasn't anything you, t- you could describe. A very melancholy chant, rhythmic, almost a spontaneous choir. So that's keening. And that's how it kind of connects to Banshees, kind of. So, okay. The legend behind all of this. Mm-hmm. So it speaks, Irish legend speaks of a lament being sung by a fairy woman. Or Banshee. She would sing it when a family member died or was about to die, even if the person had died far away and news of their death had not yet come. Oh, so she is like very much like an omen. Yes. Seen as an omen. Okay. And in those cases where the death was very far away, her wailing would be the first warning um, that a death from the household had occurred. And household is just the family name, essentially. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, aside from being seen as keening, it was also seen as a warning of death. So the whale was a warning of death or maybe a sign that someone had died, but it was also her mourning the person. Okay. Um, if someone was about to enter a situation where it is unlikely that they'll come out alive, she will warn people by screaming or wailing, giving rise to a banshee also being known as a wailing woman. So some people may not use the term banshee okay may just be a wailing woman i like banshee better though Mm -hmm. um it's often stated that the banshee laments only the descendants of the pure milesians um which are the final uh i guess race to settle in ireland oh so you have to be irish yeah so they they're the gales that set sail from iberia because okay, if you do, if you look in the history and you look up like the Celtic people, the Celtic people weren't always in Ireland. They came from like Iberia and France. What's area. Iberia? Iberia is um like Portuguese, Portugal, Spain. Oh, Basque country. Oh, and that's what they call like the um Black Irish. Like when you have like the dark hair, mm-hmm. darker hair, or or like the tanner skin. It's like I've heard that um. 
I once dated a British guy. No big deal. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he... um. Gosh, I remember like we were talking about how I played an Irish woman in a play once. Like that was my role was as an Irish woman. And um, I said, like, it's funny because I look so not Irish at all. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, you could, you know, th- there's some black Irish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that people who are like are, you know, tan or like more Mediterranean looking. And I'm like, oh, OK. Interesting. Yeah. But not everyone yeah. in Ireland is going to be like pasty white red hair mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's um that's a whole nother fun topic that has nothing to do with the paranormal but <laughs> i very much find it interesting no, let's talk about the celtic diaspora over <laughs> thousands of years <laughs> let's talk about it <laughs> no and i like this too because um i'm not portuguese or spanish but i am basque and then mm-hmm. i'm also irish and so mm-hmm. in my mind, I kind of like the idea of, like, I had family that maybe, like, stayed in the Basque country. And then, obviously, some of them must have gone up to Ireland mm-hmm. and populated my Celticness. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so these Malaysians um, mm-hmm. were who... Why did I leave off? The Banshee laments only descendants of pure Malaysians. Um, sometimes clarified as surnames prefixed with O and Mac. Oh, okay. And some accounts even state that each family has its own Banshee. And this is actually pretty widely accepted oh. that to have a Banshee appear to you means that you have some Irish in your background. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and my, through my grandma, I have the O'Briens. Okay. So. That's interesting. You have like Banshee on retainer. Yeah. For all of time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so if a Banshee is connected to that particular like groupings of people, that can explain why, you know, when the Irish moved to America, that they would still be seeing them because okay. it followed. Okay, just follows the lineage. Got yeah, it. Yeah, not so much the land. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be an exception to this, though even still it's a little meh. Um, there's a banshee known as the Rossmore Banshee, and she supposedly heralds the death of a family member. Um, of Baron Rossmore, whose ancestry was predominantly Scottish and Dutch. But I'm going to say, if you're Scottish, you might have a little Irish in you, too. Right. Okay. So, But that's the only thing that I could find of, like, not being connected to Irish ancestry. That's big. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, cool fact. When several banshees appear at once... It indicates the death of someone great or holy. Oh, okay. So it's a who? Really it's scary a- <laughs> to see a whole bunch of them, but like that would be yeah, terrifying. Like a parade of them. Yes. Um, something that is closely related to the banshee is the death coach. I didn't look up how to pronounce it in Irish, and I fucking love it. Koi, koi. A death coach. It's a death coach. And oh, 
I'm thinking like a doula, like coaching you oh, no. to death. I don't know. No, like a horse right, carriage. Horse, like a stagecoach, like a coach. Yeah. Got it. Got and it. a headless horseman uh, of driving course. it yes. called the Doulahan, which I grew up. It's maybe not the best. It had its issues. But Darby O'Gill and the Little People. It's on Disney Plus. It has mm-hmm. um, Sean Connery in it. Mm-hmm. Which he was a handsome oh, man. R.I.P. Yeah, but he was also a shitty person. Was he really? He liked to slap women. There's an interview with Barbara Walters what? all about how it's totally appropriate to slap women. I didn't. I oh, missed this. Oh, my God. Where have up. I been? I have to tell my poor mother. Yeah. He's her favorite actor. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Anyway. All right. He was it. handsome. He was handsome. And he's in Darby O'Gill and Little People. But you, there's a banshee in it and the death okay. coach. Um, no, no, if you just want to see something, that's all in that movie. Okay. It's cool. a it's a hoot. Um, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now to describe a banshee. So oh, I already have chills. There mm-hmm. are a number of different descriptions, which again leads to lends to the belief that maybe the banshee follows a lineage and each family has their own because it's not really believed that there's one. There okay. are different. So here are some of the different descriptions. Um, in some descriptions, she has long streaming hair and wears a gray cloak over a green dress and her eyes are red from continual weeping. Mm-hmm. If the occasion calls for it, she may wear the shrouds of the dead. Oh, okay. Um. There was Anne Lady Fanshawe, also known as Lady of the Lake in Scotland. She -hmm. wrote a book called Memoirs, and um, she encountered a banshee, and she just described it as a woman dressed in white with red hair and a ghastly complexion. Ghastly? Oh, goodness. Um, Another book that mentions her was written by Oscar Wilde's mother, Jane Wilde. Oh. Who was also an author. Um, yeah. She wrote Ancient Legends of Ireland, and this is how she described banshees. She writes, the size of the banshee is another physical feature that differs between regional accounts. Though some accounts of her standing unnaturally tall are recorded, the majority of tales that describe her height state the banshee's stature is short, anywhere between one foot and four feet, which is like a little bit more terrifying to me. I would, the taller one would be more terrifying to me. If that was smaller, I'd be like, mm, I can overpower you if you try to attack me. If it's smaller, it can, like, wisp away and I won't find it. If it's tall, at least I'll be like, there you are. I know oh you're over there now. I think it's so funny how opposite we think about, like, <laughs> our paranormal, potential paranormal encounters. Like, <laughs> for me, I definitely, if something's taller than me, I'd be running for the fucking hills. <laughs> Kick him in the knees. <laughs> Knock him down. If they're short, I don't know. They're quick. Um. Yeah, if they would be like tiny, my reaction would be like to punt them or something. It was like, See, my mom once told me she had a dream when she was pregnant with me that I, she dreamt that I was like born and mm-hmm. I was alive, but I was like a baby, like a baby baby, but like running around the house, and she found it terrifying. <laughs> Oh, really? I guess that is kind of <laughs> when you know you're a baby that isn't at that stage that you should be walking around the house. Yeah. 
And then I was like, quick. Uh, I was quick. A naturally <laughs> so quick. So I think that's yeah. where I get it from. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, Jane Wilde also writes that her exceptional shortness often goes alongside the description of her as an old woman, though it may also be intended to emphasize her state as a fairy creature. Okay. Um, But there's many more. So sometimes the banshee assumes the form of a sweet singing virgin of the family who died young and has been given the mission by the invisible powers to become the harbinger of coming doom to her mortal kindred. Like, oh, that's okay. Maybe like a prettier, nicer version. Oh, I like that. Like that the banshee is an ancestor. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> she may also be seen at night as a shrouded woman crouched beneath the trees, lamenting with a veiled face, or mm-hmm. flying past in the moonlight, crying bitterly. Yeah, that's the, that's those are the ones I don't like. <laughs> You're walking at night and just this. Ooh! <laughs> the fuck was that did you hear that was that my banshee i wonder how many miles per hour is she going is my question because 10 miles per hour is different from 60 yeah. <laughs> like she goes too fast you're not even gonna like understand the message you're gonna be like whoa <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <you're- laughs> i'm sorry banshee <laughs> I'm just going to assume I have one now, and she just hears me all the time. (laughs) Um, She may also be a headless woman, naked from the waist up, and carrying a bowl of blood. Oh, my God. I kind of like that one. That's, no, that's my least favorite one. (laughs) Whenever there's, like, scary movies with naked people, I freak the (laughs) fuck out. Like, that's so terrifying to me, because, like... I loved the witch, but at the end when they're all naked and floating, that was traumatizing for me to see really? for some reason. And then in um, spoilers up ahead, you know, skip like 30 seconds um, <laughs> in Hereditary um, mm-hmm. at the end where like the, you know, the climax of events happen yeah. in, the, in the house and there's like the cult people and they're all naked. I love it. It freaks me out. <laughs> It's it freaks me the fuck out. Like I don't want to ever shame any like nudists or you know, but it's like in a horror movie setting when there's naked people, it's like, oh my god, they're so out of control. Like if I have to like wrestle them, I'm gonna be touching stuff. Like they're counting <laughs> on that. <laughs> you can't grab onto any like articles of clothing. It's just titty twisters. Oh my gosh, dong twisters. turtle taps. <laughs> There are things. There's things that can be done. <laughs> um, well, this, you might like this one a little bit better then. Okay. There's another depiction of her as a beautiful woman with silver white hair wearing a long shimmering silver dress carrying or using a silver comb. Okay. Pretty, right? That's pretty. So, and I, I think there's more, but those were like the main ones that I could find like repeated. They're so vastly different. I wonder, like, each banshee has their own personality. And if it's, like, the ancestor and she passes, they're like, all right, now you're going to be the banshee for your family. And it's, like, when you're at the beginning of a video game and you can, like, design your avatar. (laughs) 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 Like, how beautiful or terrifying do you want to be? Oh, my God. I want to be a banshee now. (laughs) That's what I want to do with my life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's my goal 
Oh my god, if I ever have a daughter and she tells me she wants to be a banshee when she grows up, I'll die so happy. Uh, we're very different people. <laughs> okay. Well, so the cry of the spirit is mournful beyond all other sounds on earth and betokens certain death to some member of the family whenever it is heard in the silence of the night. Which I know I keep repeating, but like, I both find it terrifying and beautiful at the same time. I just, um, I wonder if there's any videos of people like trying to recreate the keeners or the keening. I haven't seen, you know, I could look deeper on the keening. I was looking for like banshee whales, someone mm-hmm. trying to, but even then it's, it's actually, there's some differences. So in Southern Ireland, um, her whales described as like low, but melo- melodious, mm-hmm. melodious, melodious, um, in the north of Ireland, they say it sounds like the clapping of two boards, which like isn't really a whale. That's not really that, a nice that's sound. like and that's yeah, I feel when I think of banshees, like they're making like drawn out sounds and that's like yeah. a quick sound. The east, um, they described it as like a a shriek of like an owl kind of oh. a sound. Okay. I was trying to find more like west. Like where my family was from, what they mm-hmm. a sound that you don't want to hear at night, basically, I'm thinking pretty much got it, yeah, hmm. um sometimes a banshee will perch on a windowsill like a bird where she'll yeah. remain for several hours or even days until death comes to call, uh-huh, <laughs> yikes. And often, as the banshee escapes into the darkness, witnesses have described a bird-like fluttering sound. Oh. Thus, many believe that the banshees are bird-like creatures. And that kind of ties the belief of the banshees to the, um, I don't want to butcher it, Tuathe Dadanen. Um, where you have- What's that? The, I mentioned that, they're like the, uh, the fairy people, but not the fairy people. The they're from Irish mythology. Oh, okay. I'll leave it at that. Um, they're the. I can't leave it at that. Why <laughs> is my brain having such a hard time? I actually just enrolled in some free classes on Irish paganism. Oh, cool! Yeah, with the the gal that mm-hmm. was Laura her... O'Brien. Yeah, she um. She offers some really cool classes. But awesome. I was like, Shout I out to know, her. yes, I know some things, but like, I've put so much focus on the Norse stuff that I was like, I am also like, I, I'm also pretty Celtic. Mm-hmm. I want to know this stuff too. Yeah. Especially because a lot of it does call to me, but I, I can't, I have a hard time juggling. Sure. Those kinds of things on top of like everyday things. Um, but I'm, you've probably heard of like the Morrigan. Oh, yeah, of course. So she's part of the Tuatha Dé Danann. Okay. Yeah. Um, which some depictions, she is a single woman, and in others, she is three women. Yes, that's how three I know it is three. Women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, when she is around, she appears, um, she's usually symbolized by, like, crows. Mm-hmm. And so the sound of a banshee leaving like a bird, a lot of people connect it to 
mm. long gone. So okay, I just it's a beautiful thing. Um, so the Scottish they have a different word for the banshee, and I didn't look it up. I'm sorry. It looks like bean. Nahi, me. It's probably the opposite of how you're saying it because let me tell you, <laughs> there's some weird pronunciations over there. <laughs> yeah, it's N I G H E. So you know N I G H E E. Mm-hmm. I bet it's just like knee. Me knee. Okay. Anyway, Maybe. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Our Scottish peeps, holla at us. Please do. Tweet um, at us. We have very little action on Twitter, and that's, maybe that's my fault because I never do anything on Twitter, even on my personal account. I but, like have retweeted a couple things. <laughs> that's it. Guys, tweet at us. I'll like, I'll scream like a banshee. <laughs> maybe you'll hear me <laughs> from excitement, though. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a different creature. Mm, interesting. But anyway, the Scottish version is described as having one nostril, oh, one big protruding tooth, uh-huh. webbed feet, okay, long hanging breasts, yum, and dresses in green. Oh right. She's also known as the washer at the ford, and she wanders near deserted streams where she washes the blood from the grave clothes of those who are about to die. So this okay, is like not, where the washerwoman comes from. Right, but like not everybody dies a bloody death. And maybe it's metaphorical. Maybe. Okay. Because they're not dead yet. The girl has a very there. interesting <laughs> style. Um, not sure what we can do about the tooth and the singular nostril. Uh, but yeah, I love that she's rocking the natural breast. Just Absolutely. But- what does what what Creed say in the office? Like, uh, hang, what is it? It's like, swing low, or, no, I love, hang low, sweet chariots, or something like that. <laughs> no. Oh, well, okay, but, um, it's said that they're the spirits of women who died giving birth. Oh. This just makes it really sad. That is sad. And they're doomed to do this work until the day their lives would have normally ended. Oh, okay. So just like a normal lifespan? Yeah. And then a <sighs> mortal who is bold enough to sneak up on her while she's washing and sucks her breast oh, can oh, claim oh. to be her foster child and as a result gain a wish from her. So if you want a banshee's wish... Uh, uh, pass. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'd love to make a wish, but not like that. Can you like ask her before you start suckling on her bosom? Right. Can I just be your child? Do you have to sneak up on her? I feel like that's a little um I don't like that much very much. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> so I decided to end this. I was trying to look for like a really cool story about an encounter with a banshee. Mm-hmm. And I found two that are like Ooh. short. Okay. Um I so the wait. first one is about Richard DeClaire, who lived mm-hmm. um, at the end of the, how the fuck does that work? 13th century? Beginning mm-hmm. of the 14th? Yeah. It was um, the 13th century. It was the 1200s. Yes. Okay. 
It's like I know that, but it also just it doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> anyway, so steward of forest of excess. S- S- now you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Hot potato. Steward of forest of Essex and sheriff of Essex mm. was killed while commanding his force- forces at the battle. By, com- by com- his foreskin? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna this go going, legend. This is going great. <laughs> really good. Sorry, Richard. Okay. <laughs> As he <laughs> Okay, here's here's the story. As he marched towards his outnumbered enemies, full mm-hmm. confidence of a swift victory. His force came upon a grim and wizened old woman washing armor in fine robes, all stained with blood in the swift running river. Mm. Calling one of his local men to speak to her, he heard that she was the woman of the waters of misery who made her home in the misted mounds of the fairies. But she was of the tribes of hell and invited him thence from the green earth upon which he walked. Soon, she said, they would dwell in the same land. Oh my God. And sure enough, Declare perished in the battle and his men were scattered. And to this day, the people of the area tell of the woman who reddened the water with trouble nears. Centuries before, tales are told of another would-be conqueror, uh, Prince Donahach uh, O'Brien, okay. who sought rulership of the land around Lorask. They looked on the shining mirror, and there they saw the monstrous and distorted form of a lone ancient hag that stooped over the bright low shore. She was thatched with elf locks, foxy gray and rough like heather, matted and long, and like long sea rack, a bossy, wrinkled, ulcerated brow. Wow, that's, that's a, a lot, lot of words. This is a lot. So many words came at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> The hairs of her eyebrows like fish hooks. Oh. Bleared, watery eyes peered with malignant fire between red inflamed lids. You know, like. I want you to say this in a pirate voice, honestly. Can you please (laughs) read that last part in a pirate voice? Because I feel like it really just. I know that I can do. So here's my thing with voices I can't do them on command, but if I'm around it, if I'm Mm -hmm. listening to it, Mm -hmm. I can do it. Mm it's a weird thing. I think it's like it's an actual thing. Psychologists have called it something. But she also had a great blue nose, flattened and wide, livid lips, and a stubbly beard. Okay. So the hag was washing human limbs and heads with gory weapons and clothes till all the waters were defiled with blood brains and floating hair. Whoa. It was really cool. So it's kind of trippy because it's like, she's like, y'all are going to die. And I'm currently washing y'all's limbs that are going to die with you. Like Such a power move. Like, let me show you your limbs that'll be detached from you because you're going to die. See that? That's your you're, arm. You're watching me <laughs> wash you. <laughs> oh, you see that intestine? That's Greg's over there. <laughs> Say goodbye, Greg. <laughs> So, Donaha, Donaha, 
say? Is it not Don? I want you to say Donahue. It almost sound, sounds it's like Donahue. Donahue. It's Donah- not Donahue. Donahue. It's it's there's a huh, but I'm trying not to Donah-ha. do like a Dutch huh. huh like I'm the trying guttural. to do an Irish huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know why it's hard for me? It's not like I'm fluent in Dutch or anything. So Donahue at last spoke. He said, "What is your name and race, and whose kin?" Are those maltreated dead? She replied, I am Brona of Burren of the Tuate de Danon. The slaughter heap is of your army's heads. Your own is in the middle. Ah, you see? <laughs> She's like, this is the shit. <laughs> and you're the shit. <laughs> the, the angry men raised their javelins, but she rose on the wind, yelling more and more words of woe till she vanished. Pay her no mind, said Donaha. She is a friend of Bav of Clan Torlo. Whoever that is. The army <laughs> hurried on to the ridge of the abbey where Donaha and all his kindred, save one brother, were slain before evening. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just love that ending. Pay her no mind. Dead. <laughs> and they all died. Except for one <laughs> of them. <laughs> now, the last story is of the Italian count. I could not find his name. Okay. I don't know why I couldn't find his name, but he's an Italian count. So, a party of visitors were gathered together on the deck of a private yacht of one of the Italian lakes in the 19th century, and during a lull in the conversation, one of them, a colonel, said to the owner, Count, who's that queer-looking woman you have on board? The count replied that there was nobody except the ladies present and the stewardess, but the speaker protested that he was correct, and suddenly, with a scream of horror, he placed his hands before his eyes and exclaimed, Oh my god, what a face! (laughs) What a face! Rude! (laughs) For some time, he was overcome with terror and at length reluctantly looked up and cried. Thank heavens it's gone. What was it? asked the count. Nothing human, replied the colonel. Nothing belonging to this world. It was a woman of no earthly type with a queer-shaped, gleaming face, a mass of red hair and eyes that would have been beautiful but for their expression, which was hellish. She had on a green hood after the fashion of an Irish peasant. Hmm. An American lady present suggested that the description tallied with that of the banshee, upon which the Count said, I am an O'Neill. At least I am descended oh. from one. My family name is, as you know, Nielsini, which, like more than a century ago, which, like, more. <laughs> Wait, like, more than a century ago? <laughs> which, little more than a century ago, was O'Neill. <laughs> I like the clueless version of this count. <laughs> so, like, a century ago, my family comes, and they're like the O'Neills, but they're like, we're in Italy now, so let's be the Nielsini, right? Let's, let's rebrand it. Let's rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> we're rebranding. <laughs> um, he says, my great-grandfather served in the Irish Brigade and on its dissolution at the time of the French Revolution, revolution had the good fortune to escape the general massacre of officers and in company with an o'brien and a Maguire, fled across the frontier and settled in italy on his death his son who had been born in italy and was far more italian than irish changed his name to nilsini by which name the family has been known ever since but for all that we are we are irish 
The banshee was yours then, cried the colonel. <laughs> what exactly does that mean? I like your I like your voice for the colonel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's having a hard time. He's having a time. <laughs> <laughs> it means, the count replied solemnly, the death of someone very closely associated with me. Pray heaven it is not my wife or daughter. He need not have worried, for he was struck dead by a heart attack within two hours. <gasps> so it was for him. It oh was my gee. But see, and that's the surprise of a banshee. You never know. Hmm. Wow. And that's that's banshees. And that's that on that. That's banshees. Let me see if I can get like a um a banshee whale. Let's see. How to scream like a banshee. It'll be Halloween next year. Oh my gosh. Be the headless one with the bowl of blood. <laughs> I'm Topless. interested to see how you... <laughs> yeah, just I'm sure Graham will love that. <laughs> oh man, I've just imagined Trick or Treat just coming to the door and you just opening the... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's not funny. <laughs> you know, traumatize the yeah, children. But I can't do that. Well, and um, we we got an email over the weekend that we got clearance to start IVF. So <gasps> there's a good chance that I could be pregnant on Halloween next year. Oh my year. gosh! So oh my gosh! I mean, if they just worked with my own timing, I want a Halloween baby, but I can't make them do that. <laughs> I mean, it's a little hard um, to control yeah. that. Yes, yes. A little bit. I mean, it's... <laughs> Wait, what would that be then? That would be February, right? Yeah. So Just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, but the math, of, the math of it, like, works out a little weird. So first they have to make me create a whole bunch of eggs, and then they mm -hmm. have to take all those eggs out of me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know when that's going to happen. They're going to call sometime this week, and I have to have, like, $17,000 ready to pay them to book it. Yeah. What? It's a lot of money. Oh, my God. It's a shit ton of money. That's a mm -hmm. fuck ton of money. <clears throat> the only upside that I keep telling myself is that once they have my eggs, and I have, like, good eggs... Oh, it's, good. They've been tested. They're good. Good. Okay, good. Um, they can freeze them all so mm -hmm. that if we want more, we don't have to do that all over again. Yeah, that's like 17,000. But then to like put them inside of me is like 14,000. Yeah. Wow. It's a I, shit ton of I money. heard that it was expensive. <laughs> I did not know it was mm -hmm. that expensive. It's really expensive. Um, and, like, insurance doesn't cover anything at all? No. Um, California, something passed where employers have to provide some sort of infertility coverage, but it mm -hmm. does not cover IVF. Ugh. That sucks. Yeah. <clears throat> so, like, I mean, if everything's, like, working, but, like, maybe you're not ovulating on time or something, they can give you a medication. To, like, and that would be covered mm -hmm. if you have it. Got it. Um, or like IUIs, which is where they basically take um, sperm mm -hmm. and then put it through a little tube that goes straight into your uterus. Got it. 
um, at, at like, the right time, mm-hmm. which is much more affordable, much more common in, like, like a lesbian couple mm-hmm. who's yeah. trying to get pregnant. You know, yeah, there's yeah. nothing mechanically wrong. They just... You know, they're going to go buy their sperm. and Right, right, right. Um, IUIs are a good option for that, which is covered. But if you have to do IVF, it's very expensive. But on the flip side, adoption is like four times as much. Really? At least when I looked into it. It's so expensive. And it's a long process if you are approved. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But we just happen to be lucky that our families happen to have money to help us with. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. That's and family so nice. friends. That's so nice. So, yeah. That's weird that we got on that topic and I was trying to look for a banshee sound. <laughs> I couldn't find one. <laughs> I'll post one in our stories or something when we. Okay. We'll find I'll sound some like ban- a banshee when I give birth. <laughs> There you hey, go. babe, I'm a banshee. <laughs> you know, I just, when I was little, I don't remember, I always have this memory, of, banshees freak me the fuck out because I have this, like, visual in my head that's, like, scarred in my brain. Mm-hmm. I was watching either an old movie or an old show, probably an old movie, like, on Nick at Night or something like that, and it was set in Ireland and there was a banshee and it was like the very like haggard looking woman and in oh in like um you know like very like kind of ghostly looking black mm-hmm. you know strips of cloth and she, she's terrifying and um yeah I don't I, gosh I wish I remember what I was watching but I was so young at the time so ever since then like banshees like terrify me like the thought of them terrifying me um there was a show that i used to be obsessed with that was on disney called so weird <gasps> and there was one with a banshee yes wait maybe that's what i'm remembering it could have been but i feel like the banshee was pretty i don't remember that now but it was Fiona's... so weird was such a cool show i love oh my show. i was obsessed with Fiona. I and i was such a tomboy so that i was like I thought she was really cool, too. Yeah. Because she was, like, she was tough. Yeah. She was. She was really cool, playing the guitar. Yeah. I thought um, she was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> she, like, bargains with the banshee because she doesn't want her grandpa to die. Oh, man. You remember it better than I do. I just, like, remember some, like, the themes of each episode, but I don't ever remember, like, the exact plot. Of- well, Okay. When Disney Plus came out the first day, I immediately put on So Weird because I hadn't seen it. Oh, so you were recently watching it. Okay. Yeah. I had been trying to watch it on YouTube, but the quality, you're just listening to it (laughs) at that point. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to rewatch it. Yeah. Yay. We might find new topics to talk about from it. Cool. Wow. Well, what an episode. Really was. I'm glad you picked a true crime thing that was like bigger because like I I I think the next true crime one I'm going to cover um the Nexium cult mm-hmm. which is obviously it's a bigger thing. Oh, is it going to be a two-parter? Maybe. It yeah. might be because it's going to be a lot. 
Yeah. If I mean, if you feel like it needs to be a two-parter, like, do it. Um, but yeah, I've been hearing about that, and um, I was going to try to get our stars uh, streaming up and going just to watch that docu-series that's happening. Fuck, that's a whole other one. I haven't even... Um, but, the one with India. If you watch The Vow first... And you hear about this one coming out on Stars. I'm like The Vow. I'm that's the one on Netflix, it. right? That's the one on HBO Max. Oh, HBO Max. Okay, okay. And um, India's mom is on that one. Okay, I think I'm going to wait for you to tell me. So I'm going to hold off on okay. watching those things because I want to be like learning all about it as I'm listening to you, and then I'll watch the stuff. I yeah, that's probably good. It's it's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's really heavy to watch. Um, I binged several episodes of The Vow before I realized it was a weekly thing, but it was like towards mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so then like the last three episodes I had to wait for. And I'm glad because they were like the heaviest ones. Yikes. Um, but there was also a show about cults on like A&E or something. And I watched that on... Hulu and the first episode was about Nexium. All right. Well, I am so excited then. <laughs> Yay. Um, cool. So thanks for listening, guys. Um, you've been listening to the new witches. I'm Maria. I'm Laura. And you can follow us on social media at the new witches on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook too under the New Witches Podcast. And this show is brought to you by just us and our amazing, gorgeous, wonderful Patreon members. Um, So as a Patreon member, you will get um, exclusive benefits as well as a private reading with Miss Laura here um, and be added to our close friends list on our Instagram stories, too. So if you'd like to support the show, it really does help out a lot, Um, helps out us you know put out a quality show for you guys and helps just for us to create more content for you to enjoy you can find us on patreon.com slash the new witches we have different tiers there so depending on the tier that you sign up for you'll get a different kind of reading um yeah and um finally we do have our listeners episode coming up we do that every 13th of the month um We do have some stories. Uh, We'd love to get um, a couple more. And the way that you can submit your story, we we love hearing like paranormal, witchy stories. Maybe it's like the story of how you found your path to being a witch. Um, Yes. Or maybe it's something wild, like a weird UFO kind of close encounter thing. Um, or maybe you have a true crime story or some just weird experience. A whacked out dream. Even a whacked out dream. We love hearing like crazy dreams. Um, So yeah, just send it in, guys. And what we'll do is we'll read it out loud in the listeners episode. Um, So you guys, wow, you're famous. You'll be on the podcast. Um, (laughs) And you can submit your story on our website, thenewwitches.com. You can go to our contact page. We have a submission form there. Or you can email it directly into us if you like that better. uh, Thenewwitches at gmail.com. So anyways, guys, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next Wednesday. Stay witchy. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.